0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. What do you imagine the future holds? And how does that make you feel right now if you think about the future? See, while God is outside of time, we live in the present. And we can look toward the past, though we often misremember it. And we are cut off from the future, um, though the anticipation of it is in our hearts. So not knowing the future can actually cause us great anxiety. We can only speculate about what it will hold and how we will experience it. So it makes sense that our understanding of the past directly affects how we live in the present, but also, so does our conception of the future. It affects us now. In an effort to relieve our anxiety about the future, we often make assumptions about what the future will hold, usually based on our past and present experiences. But these assumptions are often attempts at protecting ourselves from what is ahead, instead of trusting in God, who holds our future. In all of our readings this week, people's assumptions about the future were inhibiting their ability to trust God fully in the present and to do the work he was calling them to do now. So God's remedy in each case was threefold. First, he would give the people a corrective glimpse at what was to come in the future. And then he would make clear that his presence was with them in the present. And then to remind them to look to his activity in the past as an assurance of his trustworthiness. And these three together would then free them to do the work that God had given them to do right now. So in each of our readings, we can find this. In our Old Testament reading from the prophet of Haggai, uh, the remnant of Israel had returned to Jerusalem from exile 18 years before. And while upon their return, they had started rebuilding the temple, at this point, their efforts had stalled. They had gotten distracted with taking care of their own lives and building their own houses. And in Haggai's first Oracle, he brings word from the Lord that it's time for them to recommit their efforts to finishing the temple. And they did, they started to do that. But it's just a couple of months later that into their renewed efforts that some of the people who remembered the glory of the former temple were becoming discouraged in their work and what they were building was so inferior they felt in comparison to what what was that they could only imagine that this second temple in the future would continue in this meager state. So God sends Haggai to tell them that the future will be different than what they assume. He says in a little while I will shake the heavens and the nations and treasure will come pouring in again as will God's glory and peace on this very temple. He also says to them, I am with you right now in the present. He says to them, work for I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. And he also says, remember how I was with you in the past. When he refers to himself, he says, he mentions the covenant that I made with you when I brought you up out of Egypt. I've been with you this whole time. I remain with you. So the remnant of Israel had assumed that the future would be as meager as they were experiencing it now, and that discouraged them from doing the work that God had given them to do in the present. But God's intervention turned their discouragement into faith and hope, freeing them to continue the work he had given them to do in rebuilding the temple. Now, in our New Testament reading, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church was experiencing a lot of persecution, and we know that they had been longing for the day of the Lord, uh, a day when God would come and end their suffering and bring them all together. We know this because of his first letter, Paul's first letter to them, encouraged them to stay alert and to be ready for that day to come. But then something happens between the first and the second letter, we don't know exactly what, Historians haven't figured that out yet, but Paul finds out that some of them actually believed that somehow they'd missed the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord had happened and had passed them by. And they were shaken in mind and alarmed. They had missed what they had been waiting for. They feared that their future was going to be just like the present. And so in our passages today, Paul tries to calm their hearts by reminding them what he had taught them previously about the day of the Lord. And so he tells them, look, the future is not what you assume it will be. It is different from what you're assuming. He reminds them of the signs that still need to take place before the day of the Lord comes. And when it does happen, he says, you won't miss it. Jesus will gather us all together to be with himself. And then he reminds them that God is present with them. He encourages them to stand firm and be comforted by Jesus and the Father. And he reminds them to to look with how God had been with them in the past. He says, you were chosen as first fruits, remember? And he says, hold firm to the traditions you were taught. God has been with you. Hold firm. So the Thessalonian church assumed that the future would be as terrifying as it was for them right now, and that rattled and distracted them from the works that God had given them to do in the present. In fact, some of them had literally just stopped working. They were, they were sponging off of more wealthy Christians, they, that, and so that comes later in the letter. Paul's like, no, really, you have work to do and you have work to do. But Paul's words of God's truth were intended then to turn their fear into faith and hope, freeing them to persevere in doing the good works that God had given them to do in the present. And that's later in the letter too. He says continue to persevere in doing good work. And then in the gospel reading, Luke takes all of the chapter 20 that we we read a portion of to record the various religious leaders attempting to challenge Jesus's authority in public to discredit him and in our passage this week it's the turn of the Sadducees now the Sadducees were a small group of very wealthy and powerful priestly leaders and we believe that it's possible that they uh, only believed in the Pentateuch. They, they didn't acknowledge any of the other writings, so just the writings of Moses. And we do know that from that, they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they come up with a logic puzzle to trap Jesus. I was actually looking out at all of you while uh, the logic puzzle was taking place because I know a lot of you were Tory grads and uh, there was like, ah, there's faulty logic going on here. Um, They pose this potential marital situation on earth. Uh, Kind of ridiculous, but it's a philosophical musing, right? What if this would happen? And they believe that this idea of one woman whom ended up marrying seven men would discredit the general idea of the afterlife Uh, the resurrection and the afterlife see their conception of the future made them arrogant and judgmental toward others and jesus confounds their logic puzzle by telling them you know the future is different than what you assume it's going to be human relations will not be like what you just described in the resurrection. In fact, we'll be more like angels and sons of God. And then he communicates that God is with you in the presence by his very authority and his presence there speaking to this reality as well as the message he was was preaching. And then he says to them, Remember how God was with you in the past. He even confounds them by referring to their own narrow locus of authority, Moses, to prove the resurrection by saying to them, God is the God of the living and not the dead. And even Moses understood that. So the Sadducees assumed that the future would be as they had determined it would be. And that made them prideful distracting them from the good works that God had given them to do in the present as priests of God. And while Jesus' words may not have convinced them, it did humble them. Uh, It wasn't read tonight, but the very next lines are that they were silenced when they heard his answer. And they acknowledged that Jesus had spoken well. If their hearts had been open to it, and perhaps some were, It could have freed them to do the good work of repentance that God was calling them to in the present, now. You know, studying these passages reminded me of a time in my own life when my conception of the future was troubling to me and how God intervened. In my late 30s and early 40s, um, in the quiet of the night, often when my mind would cast itself toward the future, particularly when I thought about the future after we died, suddenly I would be gripped with fear. And the fear came with this unbidden question. And the question was, what if it's not true? What if everything that I have come to believe about the afterlife was a lie? And this would happen to me only about every few months. But when it did, I would it was usually in the middle of the night, and I would calm myself by either praying, by rebuking uh, the thought, by journaling, reading scripture, until I was calm enough that I would fall back asleep. And then I I really wouldn't think much more about it, because it wouldn't happen again for several months. But then, when I was 42, um, I remember exactly when it was, it was November of 2012, because it was the day we were celebrating All Saints in church, I was kneeling in prayer and thinking about one of my favorite thoughts, which is the church universal. I love thinking about the church through time and space, feeling connected with our brothers and sisters and wondering what it will be like when we get to spend eternity together. I can't wait to ask some of my favorite saints questions and we'll have all eternity. You know, I want to talk to Macrina, I want to talk to Hannah, you know, I want to talk to Madeline Um, (laughs) Langle. And as I was kneeling there thinking this wonderful thought, that fear and question came right at me again, and this was the first time it had ever happened in the daylight. What if it's not true? I was fighting against the fear when I heard another voice in my mind say, what if it's not? I had never uh, allowed myself to really entertain the thought, and here I felt God saying to me, it's okay, think about it. He didn't seem to be afraid of exploring this thought experiment, so I relaxed and actually pondered the idea. But before I got very far into thinking about what it would be like, God quickly directed my attention with another question. He said, would you change anything? So I stopped and my mind cast back over the course of my whole life, laid out like a path behind me. I saw the joy and the pain and the heartache, the healing, the sorrows, the comfort, And I saw so much love from God and from others. I saw life and I saw redemption of even my worst experiences. And I thought, you know, no. Knowing everything I've known about my life so far and what happened in the past, I wouldn't change the path that I was on and I wouldn't change it now. And then God had one more question for me. I heard, so do you trust me? And I realized that I did. And as my mind thought about what that meant, I thought, okay, so what if the future isn't even like what I assume it will be? Do I trust that in the God who has held my life so far and brought me this far? And I said, "Yeah," and my heart was at peace. And just about two weeks after that day, I found a lump in my breast and started a whole new journey with God through. Um, treatments and questions that were truly life and death and I was so grateful to God to have settled this big question in my heart right this big fear in my heart before we we walk this road together I, I still think back at how kind it was of him to intervene just when he did and how he did it because he freed me to do the good work of walking through surgery and chemo and radiation with him, bringing his light with me wherever I went. So I learned firsthand that if our assumptions about the future are distracting us from the work that God has given us to do today, we should ask God to grace us with perhaps a glimpse of how the future might be different from what we assume. And we should try and connect to God's presence with us right now And we should remember how God has been with us personally and with his people in the past. And if we do this, perhaps we can become like the psalmist in this week's psalm, trusting God for a future in which we bless his name forever and ever in his everlasting kingdom, calling upon him in the present for he is near us, pondering his glorious works from the past so that we're freed to do the good work he has given us to do today, to worship and adore him, and to speak the praise of the Lord, and to bless his holy name. In the name of God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.